The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Well, today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 51. So if you guys want to grab your Bibles and uh, open up to uh, that reading, I'm going to read the entire Psalm and uh, then we'll pray and uh, Josh can take it away from there. So um, this reading is Psalm 51. And uh, this is a psalm of David, and it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So we're in the story of David. And uh, we've been going through a series called Dysfunctional Families. And we've been looking at the family tree of Jesus. And it's been fascinating to just go through everyone from Abraham to Joseph. Uh, we got to hang out with Ruth and Naomi a few weeks ago. Uh, and then it kind of culminates in the line of David, King David. Last week we talked about how he was a good king and how God chose him. And how David fought for people who couldn't fight for themselves. And he believed in a God who was fighting for them. David would go on and he would write most of the Psalms. These songs to God, a way to worship our Father, a way for us to poetically understand who our God is and what our God is doing. David, uh, God actually called David a man after his own heart. David was handpicked by God to lead God's people. And in a way, David represents the best of humanity without being Jesus. He was the best of us. And the reason why I bring that up is because what ends up happening with David, I'm going to tell you the story of David and Bathsheba. We're going to walk through that story, and you're going to realize even the best of us can fail. David becomes king. And one season, his army goes off to war, and for the first time, Scripture says David hung back. Instead of going off with his people, instead of fighting the battles that God had called him to do, he stayed back in Jerusalem. And when he stayed back in Jerusalem, he's on top of his palace, and he looks out, and he sees a woman who's bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. And David makes a horrible, horrible choice. David sees her, 
finds her attractive, and he calls his servants and he says, go and find this woman and bring her here. You see, David has power in this situation. David has authority in the situation. And David, instead of going off and fighting where God has called him to, is sitting back on his laurels and he makes a choice where essentially this woman has no authority. This woman has no choice but to go along with it. And so she sleeps with King David. David sins. But even in sinning, he, he, he doubles down because what ends up happening is Bathsheba gets pregnant. And the problem is her husband is in David's army. He's a soldier. He is fighting for Jerusalem. He is fighting for the king. And so there's no way that Bathsheba is going to be able to hide what has happened. And in that moment, uh, David doubles down again. And he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to make the story even longer. He brings back her husband, Uriah, from the war front. And he says, you've been doing so good. I want you to go home. I want you to hang out with your wife. Celebrate. You've been a great soldier. But Uriah, he he doesn't do it because, you see, his brothers in arms, those who are fighting for the kingdom of God, they don't get to stop. So Uriah says, I'm not going to stop. So David says, okay, okay. uh, I'll tell you what. Come and have a feast with me. And he gets him drunk. And in getting him drunk, he's like, okay, now, now go home to your wife. But Uriah, even while inebriated, says, no, I won't go and fight. I won't go home to my wife. I can't fight. And so I will sleep at your door, King David. You who are called to protect us, you who are fighting for us, I will be your protector and your guard tonight. So David's plot to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so he can hide this child goes awry. And so uh, David finally comes down with one last decision, one last sin. And he calls his general and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to attack the city at its strongest point. And I want you to put Uriah at the front of the troops, but I want you to let all the other troops know that we're going to call them back. And so Uriah will be left fighting by himself. And the general does it, and Uriah is murdered. And then, as if the cherry on top, David takes Bathsheba as his wife. So we go from adultery, we then go to lying and manipulation, we go to murder. All this while David is still king of God's people, still quote-unquote fighting for God's people. And what you see in David is he loved God. He was authentic in his relationship with God, and yet he had a problem. This thing called sin, and sin puts blinders and blind spots on all of us. He thinks he gets away with it. And then the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story. He says, there is someone in your kingdom, a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man has many sheep, many goats, many cattle. And yet this poor man had this little baby sheep, this little ewe. And he he loves this you, and he takes care of this you. The you is part of his family. It's all he has, the prophet tells him. But the rich man invites guests over. And to throw a feast for the guests, he doesn't take one of his sheep, Nathan says, but he steals this baby you from this man, all that he had to live off of. And David gets enraged. And he says, this cannot be in my kingdom. My kingdom is a righteous kingdom. My kingdom is someone of God. I demand justice. And in that moment, the prophet Nathan holds up a mirror to King David's life. And he says, that man is you. 
God knows what you've done with Bathsheba and Uriah. Your sin isn't hidden. It's not okay. And David breaks. David realizes that the sin is malignant because you see sin is a progressive disease it never stops taking ground it never stops taking more of your insight more of your perspective more of who you are it just takes more and more like a malignant tumor and until someone comes and calls it out we we can't be beyond it and in that moment, David has two choices with how to, well, he has three choices, I suppose. One, he can pretend it doesn't happen. He can put his head in the sand and say, no, 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 this wasn't that bad, or I deserve to be able to do this, or whatever else. He could say, no, I'm king, I can do whatever I want. Choice A, denial. Choice B would be to let shame sink in, and to let the emotional weight of it bury him and to say okay now this is my cross to bear I did this horrible thing and now I'm just going to beat myself up denial shame or godly guilt 2nd Corinthians talks about that it says this Paul's writing to the church when he had to call them out of their brokenness he says yet now I am happy not because I made you sorry but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were in no way harmed by any of us. You see, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings only death. Paul writes to the early church and says, there is godly sorrow and there is worldly sorrow. Guilt and shame. Guilt is something from God. It's where he puts the mirror up to our lives and we see the sin, we see the brokenness in our lives, we see the decisions that didn't reflect and honor him and it leads us to repentance, to turn back to God. But worldly sorrow, shame, is something completely different. It's the scarlet letter that we write on ourselves. And so we carry this shame or we put this shame on others. And here's the truth right now, guys. God has no interest in shame, but right now our country, our world is specializing in it. See, there's brokenness in our world. I think all of us can admit that, right? But whatever side of the brokenness you're seeing the perspective from, the other side is trying to shame you, is trying to write a scarlet letter on your head. This is across the board. This is humanity's problem. What, you don't believe in the protesters? You don't believe in their truth? Shame on you. Wait, wait, you you don't believe that police are doing the... Shame on you. You see, what shame does is it leads to death because we can't see the truth. We can't be liberated from the truth. And yet we have a God who says, I am not here to shame you. I am not here to mar you so you carry this for the rest of your life. No, he's a God of truth. He loves truth. He believes that there is something wrong, but he gives us a third alternative. We don't have to deny it. We don't have to revel in it. We don't have to carry it. But we bring it to him, and he does something beautiful with it. And guys, this has affected all of us. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
You see, sin is a universal condition. Sin affects every demographic. Sin affects every profession, every skin color, every background. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's, that's part of God's story. It's, it's our part of the story. We all add to it. But we either like to deny it, or we like to carry the shame of it. We don't like it, but it's, it's like an abusive relationship. We don't know how to get rid of it. We don't know how to get out of it. And yet we have a God who is providing us not just an off-ramp, but an on-ramp to something else, to something better, to something beautiful. And David writes about that off-ramp in Psalm 51. You see that psalm that AJ read? About needing a broken and contrite heart? About being honest before God and saying, you know what, I am broken, there's something wrong inside of me? He's liberated in that moment. Psalm 51 says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. God is not up there saying, Hey, I need you to write a bigger check to the church, and that will make me happy. He's not saying, Say more prayers, and that will make me happy. He's not saying, Do more, and I'll be happy. That's the sacrifice I want for your brokenness. That's not the answer. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. You see, the starting place for any Christian is repentance. When the mirror is held up to us as individuals, and when the mirror is held up to us as a society, and we start to see the brokenness, We don't deny it. We don't carry it in shame. We repent. And we come before God and we say, you know what? I'm a part of the problem. And church, each of us individually are part of the problem. I am part of the problem. You are part of the problem. Your spouse, your children, your parents. Sin is universal and yet we have a God who specializes in taking broken people and turning them to something else, turning them back to life, turning them back to the good news of a God who loves us and is putting us back together and is fighting for this world, both here, now, and present day, and into eternity. And guys, he's fighting for both. Sometimes as Christians, we can be like, yeah, well, one day God's going to put us in heaven. He'll put it all together then, and we just got to wait it out until then. That is not the gospel. That is not the kingdom. The kingdom starts with Jesus saying, repent, for my kingdom is here. Turn back. Admit fault, guilt, but then be liberated from it. I read that verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that verse is bracketed by two things. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You could translate that. There is no difference from dark skin and light skin. You see, because the Gentiles were Arabic and the Greeks were white. 
and there was division there in the early church. And Paul writes, no, 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 there is no difference between dark and light-skinned folks. There is no difference between you were born in this country and this country. There's no, 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 there's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are broken, Paul says. But it doesn't end there. It says, and all are justified, are made right relationship with God freely by the divine favor, by the grace, through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Paul writes, and he goes, there's no difference between us. Because we're all broken. We're all a part of the problem. And yet we have a God who comes to each of us individually and says, I redeem you and I fight for you. And now I'm going to send you to be redeemed and fight for everyone else. We have an opportunity to be difference makers. I'm going to be honest with you. The most frustrating part of this entire conversation our country is having right now, I don't care what side of the protest line you are on. It's that Christians aren't acting any different than anyone else. If you're protesting and you're a Christian, I want you to repent and I want you to bring the best out of everyone on that protest line. If you're a police officer, if you're supporting the police officer, I want you to be able to repent, to be able to first to say, you know what, I'm not perfect yet either. And to bring out the best on your side. You see, the leveling for the Christian is that we don't shame others. We don't start with, they're the problem. We look in the mirror and we realize, crap, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I, as a pastor, am part of the problem. And God, I'm coming before you for forgiveness. I'm coming before you for love. I am coming before you to be justified in right relationship with you so I can be justified in right relationship with everyone. God is calling his church in this season to be salt to the earth, to be different than whatever group we're a part of, and to bring out the best in that group for all the other groups. This is a good conversation our nation is having. But it's going to be better when Christians are able to repent, are going to be able to be liberated and redeemed, and not carry that as shame, but to say, you know what, because my God fought for me, because my God has liberated me, I am going to fight and I am going to liberate everyone else. Starting in our own spheres, our home, our workplaces, and our world. We have a God and a Father. He does not want to shame us. He wants to bring out the best of his entire family. And we as Christians get to lead in that. Not by power, not through privilege, but by service, by grace, by having hard conversations, by continually saying, no, we want to be full of grace and truth. We want to have them together. And that in having them together, the conversation changes. And the world changes. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.